Well, it's good to be with you, and it's good to once again have the opportunity to open the Word of God with you this morning. But before we do that, let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your Word that you've given us. We thank you that you've given us a living, true Word, a Word that changes us as we seek you. And we pray that that would occur. And Lord, I pray that the things that come out of my mouth would be the things that you would have me to speak. I pray this in Jesus' name, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Today I want to look with you at the book of John, chapter 17. We're just going to be in the first several verses there. I think it's 17 verses that we're going to look at. And, you know, a lot of people um, talk about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. But really, uh, what, G- what Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 6 was a framework for prayer. And there's nothing wrong with that framework. It's a good thing. But one thing I've noticed is that often the Lord's Prayer gets repeated uh, in a ritualistic manner as if it itself held power. And... Uh, I think that there is uh, a great amount of power in this prayer because it's an actual prayer that Jesus prayed um, for himself, but also for us. And I think this shows him, even right before the cross, assuming his role as an intercessor on our behalf. Um, my first, my, so my, my emphasis today will be on how this prayer in John chapter 17 what it tells us about the character of Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, the first point that I want to bring out is that Jesus Christ is one who does the Father's will. So that's the first point. He does the Father's will. Let's read the first few verses together. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So basically, Jesus is saying at this point, I've done everything that you wanted me to do during my 33 years on this earth. And so that gave him the authority and the, the, the place before God, his Father, to request that he be given the glory that he had before the world was. And did you ever stop to really contemplate what that means? I heard a gentleman speaking about this at uh, at a pastor's conference that I had the privilege to go to in May, and I really started thinking about this in a new way. You know, Jesus was there at the foundation of the world. And he sat in the presence of the Father and was daily his delight. 
And to go from that place of intimacy with the Lord, with the Father, uh, obviously he was still intimate with the Father through his earthly ministry, but to go from the heights of heaven to that kind of intimacy with the Father, to step down into flesh and to take that on and you just really get the impre- you really get the picture for what Jesus is asking for here. He said I was I was with you before time. And then I stepped into time and now I want to be with you again. And um if we could read um John 1 1 and 2 somebody has that John 1 1 and 2 as a cross reference just again contemplating the beginning of our Lord which really was no beginning because he is without beginning and end okay <laughs> well I hope you heard most of what I said if you didn't it probably wasn't that good anyway so Let's just move on. Um, but if does somebody have John 1, 1 and 2 that they could read for us? All right. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So this is talking about Jesus before time. Jesus did not just begin to exist as a baby in the manger. He was existent before time. It says in Proverbs chapter 30, it even asks the question, what is God's son's name? So even Solomon and the writers of Proverbs knew by some kind of divine revelation or intrinsically through what they knew of God that he had a son. And how grateful we are today that we know his name and that we can have a personal relationship with him. So Jesus did the Father's will. What does that say to us? Well, the disciples were called Christians at Antioch. What is the definition of Christian? It basically means little Christs. Which means when people at Antioch looked at the Christians, they saw Christ. Now this was intended, I believe, in the original sense, as an insult. Because they thought they got rid of Christ when they nailed him to the cross. And they were so they, they so wanted to make sure he was gone that they posted a guard at the tomb. But we know that no guard and no stone can keep our Lord in the grave, and we're thankful for that. He conquered death, and by death by conquering death he also conquered sin and takes the sting out of death for us. There is some sting for the people we leave behind, and we are called to mourn with those who mourn, but we don't mourn as those who have no, no hope. We mourn with an expectation for the future. And as sad as the Christian funerals I've been to have been, because they have been sad in regard, I can only imagine what it would be like to go to a funeral and know that you're not going to see your loved one again. As a matter of fact, I think I've actually had that experience once or twice, and it's just not the same. The second point that I want to bring out is that he cared for his own well on the earth. 
We're going to move right along, starting with John chapter 17, verse 6. Jesus says, I have manifested thy name unto men, which thou givest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast, gi whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I am come from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. That's quite a tongue twister there, but it's one of my favorite tongue twisters in the world. Because, because all that, that Jesus gave, all that God gave Jesus, they're His, and uh, His are God's, and we are entwined safely in that. And I just, uh, I'm humbled to think that Jesus, before he was going to the cross, he was, he was praying for us. And he wasn't praying for the world because, because the world um, was not in him. But he prayed for his own. He spe specifically for the twelve, but then by extension us. Because he was with them he was with us, so to speak, on earth. And he knew our frailties. So he's praying for us that we will be able to persevere as he has taught us. I wonder if we might read 1 John 5.19. 1 John 5.19. Know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Uh, the the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, and we see that today. But we know that we have hope. Why? Because we are of God. There's there's nothing that can shake us. Paul said it this way. He said, "Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus." And then he makes he lists a whole list. I won't go through it all here, but basically he covers every aspect of life in that list. And yet he says at the end, nothing can separate us from God. And when we're going through uh, the evils of the day and we're dealing with false teachers and with people that have no regard for God, it can get very discouraging. But we know that we are of God, so we are we are secure. The disciples were secure. Jesus had just told them before this prayer that he wasn't going to leave them without a comforter, but that he had to leave so the comforter could come, the Holy Spirit which would guide them into all truth. Oh, I'm sure the disciples thought afterwards, I wish that we had really believed him then because, you know, within moments of this prayer, the disciples all forsook him and fled. 
But we know that when the Holy Spirit came in the first few chapters of Acts, everything changed. A man who had said three times, I do not know the man, when he was asked about Jesus Christ, would later die. Jesus told him, he said, you'll stretch forth, stretch out your hands and you'll go where you don't want to go and you'll be led to where you don't want to be led. For my sake. So he didn't just give up on Peter. He didn't just say, oh Peter, you, you screwed up. As a matter of fact, he reaffirms because he says to Peter, I prayed for you. What a wonderful thing. And I have no doubt that as Peter looked back after, after his reconciliation, that he remembered those words that Jesus himself prayed for him. You know, it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's what James says. So the effectual fervent prayer of the most righteous man that ever lived most definitely avails much. The third point that I want to bring out is he doesn't leave us without hope today. And we're, we're moving right along to John chapter 17, verse 11. Jesus again is talking about how he's going to leave this world. Of course, we know that he had 40 more days with his disciples after his resurrection. But relatively speaking, it would be very soon before he would be taken out of the world. And he says this, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. I kept in thy, them in thy name. Those that thou givest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and those things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them my world, my word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And uh, just a couple observations on this section. Jesus is going away and, and he's asking his father to be with his disciples with whom he had fellowshiped so closely over the past several years. Um, John, who saw himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, no doubt indicating his closeness to the master, had leaned on his breast at the supper table. You can't get much closer than that. And Jesus says, I, I kept them. I haven't lost any of the people that you've given me. And for, for those who, who are worried about eternal security, this is another great passage. Because it's Jesus who keeps us. We can't keep ourselves. I can't even keep myself from hour to hour, let alone for a long period of time. 
And most of us, if you give us something to keep, we try to be responsible, but we've all lost things, things from time to time. We, we've all misplaced things. Some of us wish that we had beepers on everything so we could just, we could just call a number and, and, and everything that we had would beep and we'd be able to find it because we lose things. But Jesus said, of those who you've given me, I have lost none. That's a pretty good track record. So I know that I can trust Jesus Christ with my future. He already took my past and did away with it. So I can trust him with my future. And I can guarantee you that you can trust him with yours. Because he hasn't lost anyone yet. And he's not about to. Um, and then, uh, of course, he does refer to Judas, and that was prophesied. And Ju I think Judas, though, fit in the, the camp of they went out from us because they were not of us. You know, sometimes we say, well, how could that person be living this way now because they used to be such a, a solid Christian? Well, they might have had an appearance of it, but we've already said Jesus doesn't lose those who are his. And we need to remember that it is Jesus' power. Sometimes we think it's our power. We need to do Christian things by our own power. We can try to do good things by our own power, but you know what? Paul said, in my flesh, there's no good thing. He didn't say there's 10% good. He said, there's no good thing. So how can you, in whom there is no good thing, do good things? It can only be the power of Christ working in us. Philippians says it this way. It says, For it is God who worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And then, uh, Jesus is saying that he wants them to have his joy. And joy is not the same thing as happiness. I think about the first couple chapters of Acts when Peter and John were flogged and beaten and told not to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. And you'd think they'd be downtrodden and they would say, okay, we won't do it, or they would do it in secret, but they went again and stood in the courts and preached the word. And when they came out of prison, they rejoiced that they were found worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. And they said, Lord, give us more boldness. They didn't say take away the persecution. They said, give us more boldness. And that can be a prayer of ours as well. And it should be a prayer of ours that we would be more bold for the kingdom. But it's not just about specific gospel outreaches. It's about living a life that will say to the world, I am not with you, I am with Jesus Christ. And it's about living a life where you don't go out of your way to offend someone, but the very fact that you love the Bible and you love the Lord of the Bible means that you will offend them because the truth hurts. But the truth is the truth, and we must 
speak it with love. And I try to speak it with love all the time. But you know what? Some people say, if I say something is evil, then I'm not loving. Well, then so be it. Because good is good, and evil is evil. And the Bible says, woe to all men who call evil good and good evil. And it also says that those who live godly lives in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's a non-negotiable truth. And more than ever today, we need to be able to say, my joy is not going to be in my circumstances. My joy is going to be in the fact that I did and said the things that God wanted me to do and say. And I know that I struggle with this myself. When I committed myself formally to, to preaching the Word of God, I thought, well, you know, that means I'm going to have a substantial amount of income. All these doors are just going to fly open, and I'm not going to have any difficulty. But I found that God doesn't guarantee you a smooth path. He only guarantees you that He will be with you, and that even in your tears, there will be joy because of what you can anticipate in the future. Jesus says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, Thy word is truth. You know, I think sometimes we wonder why we have to suffer. But if you really think about it, the only way that we came to salvation is because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, suffered on our behalf. And if Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, couldn't get through this life without suffering, how can we, the imperfect people that we are, expect anything less than suffering? It really speaks to what I was just talking about in these verses too because, because he gives us his word. He tells us to live by his word, to proclaim his word. And the world hates us, not because it hates us personally. And this is something that I'm still trying to work out and make sure that I keep in my mind. that Not to take it personally when people degrade me. Because Jesus told us this would happen. He said, the world will hate you because it hated me before you. And these people in the, in, in the book of Acts, they thought, we, we killed Jesus. He's not here anymore. We shouldn't have any more problems. But the word of God will never die. It abides forever. And so they didn't get rid of Jesus when they nailed him to the cross. It was just the beginning of the story. And when he rose again, you know, I kind of wonder why he didn't just go and appear to Pilate or Caiaphas. Because they were the ones who, who were convinced he was dead and they didn't have to deal with him and he washed, they washed their hands of him. But Jesus himself said, don't cast your pearls before swine. 
He's not going to stay where he's not wanted. And I think sometimes we need to be sensitive to this when we do reach out to others. Is that sometimes there will be a door that's not closed, that's not open. And no matter how many times we twist people's arms, we can't get them to the point of salvation. God has to do that by His Holy Spirit. And we have to pray that He will lead us to the open doors. Now, I don't know if any followers of the way tried to witness to Paul. I hope they did. But it took a personal, a close and personal and physical appearance of Jesus himself to bring Paul to his senses. And I've heard that that's happening today in the Muslim world. Often. Which is, which is great. Praise be to the Lord our God. He does what is necessary. He meets us where we are. And he tells us, I've got you. says that we're safe. Because the things of this world are temporal, but the things of the next world are eternal, and even if the temporal world is taken away from us, the eternal world is still ours for the taking. And it's so much better than anything we've ever experienced here. It's hard to fathom sometimes, and Sometimes we, we slip into liking this world a bit too much. Not that we can't enjoy ourselves because it says that God gave us everything richly to enjoy. But just that, just that we need balance in our lives. It's like last week. We went on family vacation. We went to a family camp and we just sat around and relaxed and had good Christian fellowship for a whole week. And I wish it could go on for a few more, but if that was the case, Number one, it wouldn't be special anymore. And number two, we wouldn't be doing our jobs as Christians. Because Jesus didn't take us out of the world. He left us in the world with jobs to do. With his word to proclaim. So we need to keep that in mind. And as we conclude, I just have one cross-reference as far as that is concerned. In John chapter 15, verses 18 to 21... Whoever gets there first, if you could read it. John chapter 15, verses 18 to 21. The world hates you. You know that it hates me before it hates you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, that I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, the world, the word that I said to you, the servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So just again, just the, the, the passage we were referring to earlier about how Jesus said, if the world hates you, or if the yeah, don't be surprised. Because it hated me before you and and you are my representatives. Remember, we said that the name Christian originated as an insult. But, and, but Paul said, I, I am willing to become a fool for Christ. If I'm counted a fool, but I'm following Christ, that's the highest compliment someone can give me. And, and I, I would pray and hope that in God's grace, that would be my testimony. You know, I've, I've thought increasingly over the past couple of years, what would it be like if I was 
called to be martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ. And at this point, I feel so weak. And I don't want to be a repeat of Peter. But I also remember Jesus said that we shouldn't be concerned about what we will speak when we're brought before uh, leaders and kings. But that He will give us the words to speak when the time comes. And He'll give us the strength. Because again, it's not our strength, it's not my strength. It's His strength. But when I realize how weak I am, then He can show up in a strong and mighty way. So, what, do, what does all this mean for us? I just want to finish by reading a passage out of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. I think that that kind of sums up all of life. Honor all men. We're supposed to give honor and respect to everyone. We read in one of the epistles that says, do good to all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. And I think we do need to to be concerned about that. I, I love outreach. I love reaching out to people who are lost. But we need to make sure that our inreach isn't lost when we're working on our outreach. They both need to exist. They're both important to, to living a Christian life. And we're supposed to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. And then... We're supposed to love the brotherhood. I think it's just totally amazing that we have an amazing extended family in the family of God. That we're called brothers, that we don't have to be alone. It's amazing when, when I go to this when we go to this family camp that even though we come from a variety of different areas and a variety of different backgrounds. At the end of the day, we have the strongest bond ever because we are all bound in the blood of Jesus Christ. And if we never see each other again on this earth, we will see each other again when Jesus comes. There's no greater comfort or excitement than that. And the cool thing is, when we get to heaven, no wheelchairs are allowed in there. I'm parking mine way beyond the door. And when I walk through those gates, I'll never see it or need it again. And I'm very excited about that. And then it says, fear God. Fear God. Do we really fear God? Do we really care what He wants from us? I think... Sometimes we, we kind of dismiss it. And we say, well, fear God doesn't really mean fear. It just means whatever whatever we, we put in there, respect or whatever. 
But Peter says in another part of his epistle, he says, now is the time for judgment to begin, and it begins in the house of God. Now granted, Jesus paid it all. He did. There's nothing we can do to do any more than he did. That's true. However, we need to keep our accounts short with God. We need to constantly be before him so that we can say, as David said, that we are righteous, that we are living righteous lives. And I don't know about you, but I want it said of me by God that I have found a man after my own heart who is willing to do all my will. That's one of my goals in life, and I pray that it is yours. Because our society is aching for men of God who will stand up and be just that. I understand that the world is waxing worse and worse, but now is not the time to cower in a corner. Now is the time to burn even brighter because the darkness is darker. So I encourage you to do that. And then finally, honor the king. I think this is so important too. Remember, when this was written, it was written to a people that were under a dictator. Had no opportunity to have any say in their government. And yet they were called as far as they could without disobeying the law of God to honor their king. And we need to honor those in authority over us, whether local, state, or federal. And we need to pray for them that God would do a work in their lives. And we need to pray as the election approaches that he will raise up men and women of God who honor his principles. Surely, they're not all that way. But there are men and women of God who are serving us today. And we need to acknowledge that and be thankful for that. You know, the, 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 our, our government is great at taking things away, but we're also great at standing by and letting them do it. Yes, things are waxing worse and worse, but I wonder often if we help it along by our complacency Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to expound your word. I pray that we would search the scriptures, prove these things, not only to prove that they're true, but also to prove them for ourselves so they're not just something that we hear said, but something that we believe deep down in our hearts. And that we would be changed people as a result. Thank you so much for your patience toward us, that you're slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And I pray that if there's anybody here that does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, that cannot call you as David did, my God, I pray that today would be the day that they would come to you in faith, believing that you can make all the difference in the world. Thank you for your mercy to myself and to many in this room. We pray that you would bless the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.